I would have thought that the hell would be would encourage people to come to Shia, but uh, apparently everybody's busy doing chuma. <laughs> so in the book of Devarim, the book of Devarim, as you know, is Moshe Rabbeinu's farewell to Am Yisrael, and he says things to them. The whole book of Devarim is about things that Moshe Rabbeinu said to Bnei Yisrael. In the beginning of the book of Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu reminds them of the difficulties in the desert and how they kept on testing HaKadosh Baruch Hu and trying to see how far they could push the envelope. And eventually they were punished severely, 40 years in the desert, but certainly not as severely as they might have been punished, because what they did was uh, was an ultimate kind of tragedy. The Egel has a house. I mean, you can't even think of anything worse than that. Even the Benot of Pa'or, the Benot of Pa'or, and Baal Pa'or, the Midianite women, okay, that's, that's a matter of, uh, of lust. Lust is forgivable, but to, to build an idol at Har Sinai, even if you uh, find the point of idolatry, as some Rishonim do, argumentative, there's real idolatry and less real idolatry, okay, but, but still, uh, all in all, it was, uh, it was a tremendous tragedy. So the first thing Moshe Rabbeinu does is remind them of uh, the past. Now, the reminder of the past uh, leads up, nevertheless, to the reaffirming of the covenant between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael. And that covenant is a repeat, an enhanced version of the covenant at the end of the book of Ayikra and the parish of Bechukotai. So that we could say that, even though it doesn't say this in the Chumash, but you could say that the parish of Bechukotai, as we've said often, that the parish of Bechukotai is... Uh, the, the, the covenant of the Chukotai was kind of canceled when they built the, uh, when they decided not to go to Eretz Yisrael, right? The Meragum, the Chet of Meragum, the second great Chet. And now, when they're about to enter Eretz Yisrael, 40 years later, they're about to enter Eretz Yisrael, so um, um, there's a new covenant. That's the covenant in, uh, in Kitavo. Now, the underlying, that's the story of the parish of Kitavo. The underlying, the parish of Kitavo, is a kind of a feeling that the Israel seem to have. I get this from inference, the inferential feeling, that if the first covenant wasn't good enough, if they weren't able to live up to the demands of the first covenant, why would they be able to live up to the demands of the second covenant? And then Moshe Rabbeinu suddenly sees it as his responsibility to be encouraged. But up to now, he told them about the transgressions of the desert, uh, in the desert. So these, when God appeared to B'nai Yisrael, they transgressed. When God told them to go to Eretz Yisrael, they transgressed. God was with them. So what's going to happen in Eretz Yisrael where life becomes a little bit more uh, prosaic? And even though uh, there may be prophets, but you don't have everybody standing face to face with God all the time. So what are the chances that B'nai Yisrael will do this successfully? So I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu himself says, in the end of the parasha of Ayelech, right, we're up to Kitavo, there's Nitzavim of Ayelech, that it's kind of hopeless. That B'nai Yisrael will sin, and they'll be exiled. But right now, that he's presenting to them, Moshe Rabbeinu is presenting to them the, uh, the covenant, right, the covenant in... in uh, uh, the new covenant in Kitavo, Moshe um, presenting this covenant. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, uh, says something encouraging to B'nai Yisrael, and that's what we want to look at right now. It's in the Eparek Havav, Slaim Pasuk Tetzayin. Moshe Rabbeinu says to B'nai Yisrael, Hayom Hazeh. 
Ayubas, as you know, became a an important kind of phrase. Uh, like the Moshe doesn't always start out by saying Hayom Hazeh. I mean, of course, everything you say is said on Hayom Hazeh. What is what is this emphasis on Hayom Hazeh? Let's just read the pasuk. Hashem lokech mitzavcha lasot et achukim ha'ayim ve'et ha'mishpatim v'shamarta v'asita otam v'chol v'avcha v'chol nafshecha. So you can say this is the bonim pasuk. This kind of pasuk appears again and again in the book of Zarim, but not necessarily with the phrase, the introductory phrase, Hayom Azek. When I say it appears all the time in Zarim, so Moshe Avedo says, keep the mitzvahs, keep them well, do them, the Chol of Avcha That's a standard kind of presentation, an exhortation of Moshe Avedo to B'nai Yisrael, keep the mitzvahs, but other than the word Hayom Azeh, it doesn't seem to have any particular context. Rashi says, the Yom Yubei Necha Chadashim, Ki Iru Tobayom Nitzkaveta Alehem. So Rashi looks at those words, Hayom Azeh, he doesn't know what to make of them. I mean, but Hayom Hazeh. Hayom Azeh is not any different than any other day. I mean, this is after 40 years in the desert. So Rashi says, Hayom Azeh, refers to the day that you read this pasuk, or the day that you think about this pasuk, any day throughout all the ages. Today, today God is commanding you to keep the Torah and the mitzvot. That's how Rashi gets out of it. In other words, sometimes, sometimes you know that words written in the Torah, and Rashi is very conscious of this, don't seem to apply to the moment. But they apply to all time. Right? And they don't even apply to the moment too well. Because if Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to them, the B'nai Yisrael, keep the mitzvot, so what does it mean now? What does it mean now? Don't keep the mitzvot. So the addition of Ayom Azeh, according to Rashi, you have to move the pasuk or the understanding of the pasuk into whatever time the pasuk is being, being read. <laughs> okay, I don't want to go to the second part of the Rashi, but I want to go to the pasuk Yudzai. Now this pasuk contains mostly easy words. Et Hashem, Hayom, to go in his ways, to watch over his laws, mitzvot his commandments, mishpatav his edicts, those are all easy words, but it has one hard word in it. Et Hashem That's a hard word. That's all. I just want you to, to know. If you're learning this, uh, this, uh, if you're learning this parsha, and you come up against the hard word, so what do you do? Uh, so you look at the English translation, right? I mean, that's that's what you do. It says whatever it says. So then you say to yourself, How does the English translation know? It's all as you look at the dictionary. So the dictionary says what the English translation says, so miraculously. So how does the dictionary know? I mean, the dictionary was just written 20 years ago. It was Rishan. We just written it, so maybe they got it from an older dictionary. All right, so go find, you know, you ask some clever person who knows about these things. He's told me it's an older dictionary. There's an older dictionary than that. But then when you get to the oldest dictionary that you could possibly find, or if you, if, you, if you are really clever and you say, well, let's look at early translations. Early translations. So how do they say no? How do they know? Well, they asked somebody who knew. I mean, they didn't have anybody, they didn't have earlier, there's no Google. They came to the end of the Google line, right? It was finished. And they read the pasuk. They read the pasuk. So what did they do? They had somebody who knows. For us, the somebody who knows is Rashi. That's why it all comes to Rashi. If you look in the dictionaries and then you look at Rashi, it's often amazing how much they are similar to each other. It's almost as though the people who read, wrote the dictionary learned Rashi. Could you imagine such a thing? So that's how it works. There's a tradition of understanding. And the tradition of understanding for us is in Rashi. Rashi didn't have a dictionary. He had a dictionary. I'm only here. But he didn't have any shashat. 
there are big dictionary, and little dictionary. What does Rashi say? Ha'amata. And then he says, the ha'amir cha. Rashi says that the word appears twice. You see, pasuk is chet. Hashem ha'amir cha ayom liyazol amtskula. All easy words except ha'amir cha. In other words, we, we, am Yisrael, et Hashem ha'amata ayom. But we did our memories to God. And God did our memories to us. That's what Rashi says, the same word. Okay, I'm going to believe Rashi about that. Then Rashi says, you listen? Look at the Rashi, you don't listen. Look at the Rashi. Ein lahem eid mochiyat vamikra. Rashi is telling you a secret. The secret is, when you come up against the word, that you don't understand. You look for other psukim that use the word in a more understandable way. We would call that using the concordance. Rashi called that knowing the Tanakh Baal Right? Which was, it was really better than using the concordance. You know, because it just takes you on the spot. Means there's no other place where this word is used in this way such that I could figure out what it means. That's what it means. And this idea was so important that one of the Rishonim wrote a book in which he listed all the words that appear in the Tanakh only once. A word that appears in the Tanakh only once is called a hashtag. Let go me none. And since no one knows what that means, so it's generally called apex. Which means, it means a one-time word. As we were outside ago, wrote a book in which he listed and explained all these one-time words. So Rashi said, this is a one-time word, and since it's a one-time word, I can't use the regular means of figuring out what it is. The regular means is looking for it in another topic someplace. But there is no other topic. I can't look for it anyway. So then Rashi says, Belinir You know what Belinir means? Belinir means I can't attribute it to a specific source. Neither a Pasuk, nor an early grammarian, nor the Mokhmeret Menachem. I can't attribute it to anybody. I'm going to tell you how we learned it in Chayda. I think Rashi went to Cheder, right? He must have done well. But his mother entered him. You know, and until, uh, until everybody appreciated that this was an exceptional student, he probably was there. You know, doing whatever little children did in those days in the Cheder. So Rashi says, but doesn't mean that no one else ever thought of this. It means I don't have a specific source but as I say, in the Cheder, Rashi learned it. And then when he got older, he had very well-known, famous Nebeyim. And he probably discussed it with them as well. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly what transpired. So what does Rashi say? Shul Shon HaFrashav HaFdalah Hizdalti Lecha Berohea Mecha Liyot Lecha Lenuhim Rashi says, what does that mean? I mean, what Moshe Rabbeinu says. You have accepted upon yourself the demand that God should not only be your God, but God should be an exclusive God. It's the exclusivity which is emphasized in the word Hamarta. Havdalah is another word we need to separate. It's Dalbi Lechav Me'elohei HaNechar. Liyot Lechav. Okay. So it's, I have separate, I have achieved that. In other words, you could say God is God. But in the olden times, people said God is God, but there could be another God who is God someplace else. Right? There was, uh, that's one of the features of idolatry, is that it does not claim exclusivity. And one of the features of uh, of our position is an exclusive one. You can't have more than one God. Since we have God, that's it. That takes up the whole category. So who is free? 
And in a similar way, God separated you, B'nai Yisrael, from all the other nations of the world. In other words, God created the entire world, and God therefore created all the inhabitants of that world, and God should have a certain amount of devotion and connectivity to all the nations of the world. But because B'nai Yisrael accepted God exclusively, so there was an exclusivity in the, in the reverse direction, that somehow God chose B'nai Yisrael from all the other nations. So that this is a statement, this is a statement about the religious development of Am Yisrael, something happened. It wasn't just that they left the tribe. It wasn't just that there were miracles. It wasn't just that God gave them the Torah. But this word, Amartah, according to Rashi means, according to Rashi means exclusivity. That God is the unique God of B'nai Yisrael, and B'nai Yisrael, the summer God, is the unique nation of HaKadosh Baruch How is that uniquely stated in the, in the Torah? The Yodolam Shmula. The Yodolam Shmula. That's what we don't know exactly I mean, what Shmula means. I guess it means a treasure. Something that is preferred. The preferred that then God has to think about the world. He thinks about Am Yisrael uh, in a separate category almost. There's the world and there's Am, Am Yisrael. He says, I find a certain kind of reference in a Pasukim to Elaine, which could be used in this way, which means it's not the same word. Uh, but I think we've done enough. I've done not enough looking for the words. So this, we finished high school now, right? This is high school. Maybe I told a few jokes that they didn't tell in, in high school. But this is basically the high school approach. I mean, they do it a little bit more viciously in high school. They say, this is what Rashi says, don't bother me. That's high school. But there is a question that Rashi doesn't answer. And that question exists whenever a funny word appears. And you have to admit that a hackback is a funny word. Right? It's like a word that you don't find anyplace else. So the, what Rashi does not address, the question Rashi does not address ever. It's not a Rashi type of question. Rashi's only interested in telling me what the puzzle means. But Rashi never is interested in telling me, so why was this strange word used instead of a simple word? Like Rashi says, what does the puzzle mean? Why does the Torah say that? Why does the Torah say something that forces us to dig into the language to discover a meaning when you could say something simple? But so every time there's a hapax, you could ask that question, and you're not going to get an answer. So that's already getting on to college. Right? You go to high school. That's Rashi, what Rashi tells you. College is looking for what Rashi doesn't tell you. Now, if you look at the Rashbam, you remember the Rashbam as Rashi's grandson, at the Shed Hamad, the Yomi, he posted you time. I found his cat cut. Shamar HaKadosh Bokhon is Rateli Yot Lepal Elokim. Who's cat cut? Who's cat cut? Interestingly enough, is a word that's used with. Uh, uh, to describe the relationship between the Yavam and the Yavama. That you know, a, woman die, a woman's husband dies, they don't have any children, and the, the husband had a brother. So, so she's the Yavama, and he's the Yavam, which means that they don't have to get married, really, but somehow they're already married. And that if, uh, if uh, they don't want this arrangement, so there has to be a divorce. And that divorce is done through a process which in the Torah is called Khalitsa. So who's kita, who's kakta, uh, 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 is about a relationship, right? So that's the word that the Rajbam adds, which is interesting because we'll get to, we'll get to the Malbim. We use this a similar word. Shabbat, Kodesh, Bochum, Nidrata, Yod, Lecha, Leilo, Kim. In other words, it's not obvious. That just because you accept the unity of God, that God will accept 
the special nature of B'nai Yisrael. It's not something that's simple or obvious, but that's what happened. That's why the Pesach has to say both. Otherwise, the Pesach would say, B'nai Yisrael chose God as the unique God in the world. They are the unique people of God. So the Rajvah says, no, that's not how it works. B'nai Yisrael accepted God. And then independently, God had to accept B'nai Yisrael. That's what he says. And because she bothers about God in turn accepted you, So that's what the Rashbam says. So it's, it's very similar to Rashi, or it's a further clarification of Rashi. It's not just a statement, but it adds this nuance. But it's not obvious that if man chooses God, that God automatically chooses man. Right? But both of these things were said by Moshe Rabbein to B'nai Yisrael, something special, something special Hayyu. Okay, let's look at the Ramban. You see the Ramban? The Ramban in this Tosuk, Eta Shem Hamarta Hayyu. It's Tosuk Yudzai. Six lines down from the top of the Ramban. So obviously, obviously the Ramban wants to say something. But this is not what Moshe Rabbeinu said. But this is what the Ramban said. And the Ramban said, I don't want you to think that the Kabbalah Torah is just saying, oh, it's very nice that God gave us the Torah. But the Kabbalah Torah is Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat You know that this is the theory that the Ramban has, which he explains in the introduction to the Torah, which is different than its introduction to say the Breshit. But the introduction, the long introduction to the Torah, the Ramban says, this Torah Shabbat that's the Chumash, and then this Torah Shabbat And that, he says, there are two kinds of Torah Shabbat is the Torah of regret, like no regular information, like uh, uh, like uh, what kind of shofar you need to blow on Rosh Hashanah, and what happens if it's cracked a little here or cracked a little. That's called regret. By the name of the Torah called Nistar, which later on became called became called Kabbalah. The Ramban has no doubt uh, about the. Uh, divine authorship of Kabbalah. And he calls it Torah Sheval Peh. Uh, you could make Chilukim, whether the Arizal is included, the Arizal lived after the Ramban, right? Whether the Ramban includes the Arizal or not is an interesting thing to talk about. But there's no doubt that the Ramban thought that just as there was a Torah Sheval Peh of Nigleh, which became Mishnah Medrash right, it kept being, remaking itself through the efforts of Am Yisrael, there was also a Torah Shabbat of Mishtah, which for the Ramban, I mean, the books that the Ramban uh, quotes are Yitzirah and the Sefer Bahir and uh, various quotes of the Gemara, which he says obviously imply a Kabbalistic orientation. So when the Ramban says, Et Hashem Hermata Hayo, So this harkens back to Rashi's interpretation of Hayom Hazeh. Right? What does Hayom Hazeh mean according to, according to Rashi? It means today, our day. So if the Prophet says, Hayom Hazeh, the Tzivuah is, is the interpreters of the Shukhanach. And that's what the Ramban says, except he says it out. He says it clearly. And he says that what you have accepted today, so what does Hamartah mean? Didautem. Romamtem. 
Now, there's such a similarity between what Rashi says and what the Ramban says, but the use of Hebrew words is not the same. According to Rashi, according to Rashi, what word translates our memory in this case? Hafrasha and Havdalah. Yes, Hafrasha and Havdalah. According to the Ramban, what word uh, uh, what words translate Aleph Memresh? The Ramban says, Gidaltem Zeronamtem. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, uh, strike the chord of, uni- of, of uniqueness. But, but obviously, that's what it means. It means that you one job is much greater than any other notion of God. So that's a, that's a kind of statement of uniqueness. But there's no doubt that the emphasis in Rashi, the emphasis in the Ramban, is on different, is on different words. It's on different words. Look at Tassitya Chet in the Ramban. The Yoga Rashem had me as well. Now, one second. Hashem had me for a Yoga. A Yoga is ever Chen. Tiyom Sinai, Hashem Romain, the God Gidel Etchem, the Kibul Atorah, Shetiyel Olam Shkulam, Mikol Ha'amim. So, so the Ramban quotes the same Patsuk about Am Segula as Rashi does. Except that he doesn't emphasize the uniqueness, but in terms of the name Israel, he says the same thing, Gidel Etchem, Gidel Etchem, Romain Etchem. That's what the Ramban says. So you could say that the Ramban and Rashi really agree with each other, except they have uh, different nuances. Or you could try to argue that there's a more serious disagreement between them. But they both say, they both seem to emphasize the fact that the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch and Am Yisrael changed at Har Sinai. And it changed because B'nai Yisrael understood something and then in return, HaKadosh Baruch granted them something. That's how, that's how Rashi and the Ramban see it. If they were sitting together in the same class in Jewish philosophy, they either would argue with each other, or they wouldn't argue. It's very hard for us to know. Right? Hard for us to know. If you're writing a thesis for the university, so you write very well footnote on this matter. Okay? That's what, that's what the Rashi says, that's what the Ramban says. Now, in the mode of Ruchim, we turn the page, let's turn the page. In the mode of Ruchim, the Ramban is talking about the purpose of prophecy. The Ramban was very concerned about, about this. The Ramban was very concerned about uh, the fact that there had to be this, for, for the Ramban, this idea that uh, people had, uh, that is created, the created person had um, some kind of at least theoretical option of reaching spiritual heights. That was very important to the Rambam. And that's called Nivu'ah. Now it's true that there were Nivu'in who worked for a living. It was like Yonah was a Navi. And he had a job. His job was to bring a message to Ninveh. So that's work. The Rambam is not so interested in that. He's more interested in the idea that a person could become a Navi. That a person, every person, has the wherewithal to develop himself spiritually so that Hashem will look upon him and, and, and give him this gift of, of prophecy. So this is, not, this is a, a, an important thing for the Rambam. But here we're not so interested in... Uh, here you're talking about... You're talking about like, what happened. How did B'nai Yisrael transform themselves from a people who knew God to a people that doesn't seem to know much about God? That's what the Rambam's problem is. So if you look at this... Um, this is where it starts. <laughs> Here. I'm going to start at the beginning. <laughs> 
ומנהיגה ומשאירה. So that's the beginning of Jewish history, according to the Rambam. Right? You write the question of the Jews, it starts with God leading the Jewish people. That's the beginning of Jewish history. And in order to have a situation where God is leading the Jewish people, there has to be a very a reason for that. That's the relationship. So that's that's what the word Aleph Menuresh means, according to the Rambam. Achatach netat inyana, things changed. Achatach netat inyana, this matter changed. Achemasa avat Hashem, umasa Hashem, until the people found God unpleasant. Hashem manigeha hovlim. And the leadership of the Nei Yisrael changed from Noam, that was Moshe Rabbeinu, of the early prophets, to Chovlim. When you have kings in Israel, such as Yeravam, Benavad, and Menasheh. In Ezot HaMilal, if Nei HaGizayah Chovlim, Min Mechabulim Kramim. V'achar kach lamad mimenu gamkein, V'salamah mikroshim ochovlim, and the Rambam has this like little drasha that he makes from the, from the words. But what is the point that the Rambam makes? The point that the Rambam makes is that the emphasis that Moshe Rabbeinu makes on this situation when he talks to B'nai Yisrael is because in Jewish history this remains a unique moment. So he explains Hayom Azeh, the Rambam, explains Hayom Azeh, not like Rashi, and perhaps the Ramban, but he explains Hayom Azeh's meaning only on that day. It was only when Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to B'nai Yisrael, and that somehow afterwards there was, uh, they were on this slippery slope until they got to the, to, to the level of prophecy of Zechariah, who had prophecy but could not understand what the prophecy was. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him a leg up, so to speak, but it didn't help people. Uh, so, so this is the Rambam's position. This is the Rambam's position on Hashem HaMircha, but this is the beginning of Jewish history, and the beginning of Jewish history could be described in that way, and that's what the word means. I mean, the word, he does explain exactly what the word means, but obviously he thinks in a manner similar to Rashi and the Rambam, even though historically... I'm not presenting them in, uh, in historical order, but that's what the Rambam says. Now we'll look at the Kedushat Levi. You know what, to finish this discussion, I will look at one Chassid and one Mitnagate. The Chassid is the Kedushat Levi, or Levi Yitzhak Mubadichev, and the Mitnagate is yet a Malbim. Malbim, Meir, Mavish, Malbim. You know the Malbim they used to say in Europe? They said the Malbim wrote this very big... Uh, a uh, very long commentary on Tanakh. And how Tanakh is extremely clever and interesting. So they, uh, in Luther, they would say, if the Malvin hadn't spent so much time on Tanakh, he would have been the God of Hador. <laughs> you know, for some reason, in Luther, Tanakh was not seen as being a primary subject for, uh, for the Jewish mind. In any event, Listen to this. Listen to what Rabbi Yitzchak said. Rabbi Yitzchak wrote a, wrote a book on, on a parashiyot. A parashiyot called Kedushat Levi. Okay, I won't tell you any more stories about the Kedushat Levi. We'll do one of these, one of these sections. Akralhu. Kiashetra minabarei paruchu nikra dibur. Shefa is the Hebrew word that means to overflow. That's what Shefa means. 
It does, it's not just that we get bracha from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, but you have to see it as being a kind of series of goblets. Right? And they can overflow from one into the next, and to the next, and to the next, and it's all overflow like this. There's just too much to contain in edit, so that nothing is being given away. Right? In other words, it just overflows. It's not like in heaven there's something is being is missing. Now God is giving you something and then God doesn't have it. This is the image that the Kabbalists Jews, and you know that the that Hasidim were all Kabbalists. This is an interesting idea. He says this overflow, this idea of bracha, is called dibur, speech. That God, after all, did the creation, right, made heaven the Dibur, the Dvarashat, which the Israel in the Madrigal Yonah has to be a holy Israel going in Dibur, but Kodesh Boko, Ashpiyam, That when the Israel are worthy, when they are not Madrigal, when they're up there, where they're supposed to be, so that causes, naturally, Dibur to, to affect them. Good things happen. Kim Chas Vishalom and Lokeinem are Micha Mocha Ba'elim. It's because if you're not that way, if you don't deserve a bracha, so what happens if you look up into heaven and you say, Micha Mocha Ba'elim Hashem? Right? In other words, all you see is the pack. You just see all the gods. You don't see God elevated and unique. The Darshidan Be'ilmin, the Zerah And this is what the Torah means when it says that Hashem Hamad Ha'yom. Atad Goreim Ha'yom B'Dibur, Ha'Kodesh Bochu, Ha'Shpiyah Shefa Torah Yisrael. Zem, Shishrael Ha'Madrigal Yonah B'Chinat Ha'yom, Shabachol Yom Ha'yom. You see, everybody, at different points of view, but they all seem to be saying the same thing. But what's the finish of the Kedushat Levi? That the word Aleph Mem Reish, you know, like we could say, what does Aleph Mem Reish mean according to Rashi, Abdallah, and Asasha? What does Aleph Mem Reish mean according to, according to the Ramban? Right? Kedushat and Kedushat, right? According to the Ramban. Or you say, well, what do you mean? But if you see, look at the dictionary, and what does the dictionary say? Dictionary says, meaning one, bananas. Meaning two, jet plane. Meaning three, an island in the Bahamas, right? So you say, oh. I mean, after all, the, 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 uh, the uh, dictionary would not lie. So, so it says three different meanings that have nothing to do with each other. So what are we saying? Okay. That's the greatness of a dictionary. It commands absolute respect. Now, what is what is the Kedushat Levi say? Kedushat Levi says it doesn't matter what the word Aleph Mem Reish means in context. I mean, it matters. But for that, we have Rashi. And for that, we have the Ramban. And for that, we even have a little bit of our devotion. But the Kedushat Levi says, but why? Why does the Torah want to use the word Aleph Mem Reish to say what Rashi says it says? And so the Kedushat Levi says, well, because Aleph Mem Reish really essentially means to speak who Amar. And that's the secret to what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them. That the Targah the Dargah, the Nei Yisrael at that time, which imposed or influenced heaven to give them Shefa and Bracha, was the Dargah of Aleph Men Reish, of Dibur. Of Dibur, now you could say that, what they, that the Kedushan lady made. They got the Torah, they learned the Torah like the Ramban said, but it was the Dibur. So when Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu is summarizing his own Tavdid, and he says, he says, at Hashem and you forced, so to speak, God to give you a bracha of Shepha. How did you do that? How did it force God? Because you speak. What do you speak? 
You speak the words of Torah. Who said you speak the words of Torah? The Rambam. Right? So in other words, it's all connected. But the addition of the Kedushat Levi has to do with the root out memory and the fact that no matter what you do or which dictionary you look at, it's always going to mean to speak. And so he connects it to speech. Because speech is the way God created the world. And Bracha, Shefa, coming into the world, is an act of speech. Not just speech. We can like, look into further. But you have to understand that that's what he is saying. Uh, line 6. V'ashem ha'mir ha'ayob. The opposite is true. Yot ha'lam tzigulav v'tikhayom yon ha'kol ha'goyim. Again, something that sounds very much like the Rambat. He made the Pasuk. Okay, this is what he, uh, he goes on to say, whatever he goes on to say. Uh, so I think that, I think that uh, the Rambat, that the Kedushat Levi, the Kedushat has hopped onto something, so to speak. And he says, Hashem HaMirchayom is used because it's the process that we're interested in. Because the, the greatness of Am Yisrael in their position before HaKadosh Baruch Hu depends on them. You have the sumer position. It's not like you get a lifetime, a lifetime position as Am Yisrael. But you have to always deserve it. And, and we saw that the Rambam and the Mona Buchum indicated that this possibly reminds us of the fact that we've become devalued. We've gone from prophecy on that level to prophecy on a much lower level. We see that the Kedushat Levi said, this is Kedushat Levi said, that at that time we were able to demand Shepa. We were able to demand, to demand blessing from HaKadosh Baruch Hu at a later time. We were no longer able to do that. Now let's look at the Malvin. I already told you a story about the Malvin. That's a shame how nice I listen to the Malvin. The Malvin is good. He says, Yesh only Shuru Nashon Hagidalah Baharama. There are those who say that our memorage means greatness and being elevated. Those who say, of course, are the Ramban. That's what the Ramban says at the thing. For Lashish Alama Shuru Nashon Hakesha. And in case you thought otherwise, the Malvin is reminding you that he also knows what Rashi says. He also knows what the Ramban says, which is the way they used to write in the old days. The Yeshua Ma'ar. Listen to this. Shehun Nishon Ma'amar, and it's called Nishon HaMishnah, Bivamar, Vasaba Ma'amar, Shepeyusha Shekitsha. Ma'amar, remember I mentioned the Yadram and the Yadama before? So the Gemara says, the Mishnah says, in Yadramas, the Mishnah says that if a Yadram goes to a Yadama and says, you are my wife, or be my wife, or you are my wife, then she's his wife. He doesn't have to do anything else. There's ordinarily when a man marries a woman, there's an implication of the sexual act. But when it comes to Yavama, Yavama, since they're already married, you don't have to do that. And you have to do it later on, but you have to do it to establish this new relationship between this man and this woman. And that speech, that talking, is called Ma'amar in the Gemara, in the Mishnah. It's called Ma'amar, Mem Aleph Mem Resh. So he is speaking to her, and she becomes his wife. So if you look at, at, the, at this, uh, what he said. When the crowd is saying, all right, fine. Kedushin, Kishat Kedushin, Isha. The nation he tries to come out. Even though all he did was say it, she becomes his wife 100% because, as we said earlier, she's already like his wife in some way. In other words, when her husband died and they had no children, then automatically there's a relationship between this woman and the brother of the dead man. Uh, so that in such a case where there's a pre-existing relationship, ma'amar is sufficient. So he says, he says, obviously our case is exactly the same. 
Why? Ki b'namar ha'sinai k'vaki v'b'nei Yisrael atzman o'malchuto yitbarach. At the time of the giving of the Torah, ha'sinai v'nei Yisrael accepted upon themselves o'malchuto, the yoke of his majesty. Hashem yiftecham aruz shiyur amsugurat. God, God promised them that they would be a treasure. Like remember amsugurat that the Ramban said that. Vata chidesh brit imahem v'taat gimel tivarim. And even though there was a covenant at Sinai, that covenant was that God gave them the Torah. And obviously, giving the Torah means you have to keep the Torah. Otherwise, why give it? Why get it? But now in the parish of Kitavo, as we said, there's an, a further covenant. Even though Arsinai is a covenant, but there's a further covenant. Why? One, Moshe, because Moshe is going to die. And that means prophecy is going to be devalued. And therefore, at this time, they need special system, as they say. Who said that? Who said, who spoke about that? The Ramam in the Moran of Ochen, right? The Ramam talked about how prophecy became devalued. That, the second reason, this is the second reason is that the Israel are going from a world of miracles, the desert, into a world of real. And when they go into the world of real, they won't always notice that God is in charge. And because they won't always notice that God is in charge, so they need this chizuk, they need this spirit of covenant in three. <laughs> Takes care of us. 
We don't do anything. We don't work in the desert. We, we, we are living this wonderful life. And now God is sending us, God is sending us to, to Eretz Israel, where we're going to have to live a normal life. So who said that the covenant of Sinai, which was a covenant for Sinai, apparently, is still in force? And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I gave HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I had to establish a new covenant. So again, what is the, what is the, what is the, uh, the Malvin say? The Malvin says two things. One, look at the question. He says, first of all, this idea of Na'amar. This idea of Na'amar. And look at the question. The Pesach says, Et Hashem Ha'amata Hayom. That is the covenant. The accepting of the covenant is done through Ha'amata. Because that's Ma'amar. The Ma'amar of a Yomom and a Yomom. So that, Rashi, that what the Moshe Rabbeinu is saying to B'nai Yisrael is, it's easy for you. It's easy for you to accept this new covenant. Because you already... You're ready with HaKadosh Baruch Well, the first time that I see that, that had to be uh, like, a, like an exciting event. Something had to be going on in the world. There were voices, sounds, and, and, and thunder, and lightning, and all of this to impress you with the fact of God's presence. But now that you've spent the years of the desert in God's presence, it's going to be very easy for you to accept the covenant. You are with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with you. The second thing that the Malvin says is that generally there was a need for this, for this uh, new covenant because B'nai Yisrael could no longer expect life to go on as it had gone on in the desert. And as the Ramadan says, the Ramadan says this caused a tremendous devaluation of the relationship between HaKadosh Baruch and Am Yisrael. They lost the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. And this is, uh, and, and as a result, they became a bad people. And eventually were exiled, were exiled from Eretz Yisrael. So you know that Moshe Rabbeinu cried. Moshe Rabbeinu cried. And no one understands. I mean, especially Litvak, people in Yeshiva, they say, Moshe Rabbeinu, no, this is the free. This is free, says Moshe Rabbeinu. He went to the Ektri Mosemites. He went to do the Mitzvah who was buried in Yisrael. So the Litvak say, Litvak say, but he knew the Gemara. He knew the Halacha. I mean, when he had to do it, he had to do it. I mean, who's the person who knows it? Who, who's really doing it? The person who knows it. The person who can explain every strange case, every odd, every odd possibility. The Litvak. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Litvak. So what does this thing tell What is he crying? You think he wanted to be the leader? He's 120 years old. He's enough. He was willing to retire. Why did he want to go there and teach Israel? Why did he want to go there and teach The answer is, that Moshe Rabbeinu knew that to wean the Israel away from the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu would be a difficult thing and would cause, would possibly cause terrible repercussions. And when Moshe Rabbeinu, when, when the Rambam and the Moshe describes Jewish history, he talks about the devaluation of prophecy. From Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moshe Rabbeinu to Zechariah. That's how the Rambam understands it. So what happened, what happened with Moshe Rabbeinu with God carried his child? A little more. A little more. And so Moshe Rabbeinu was crying. Not that he wasn't going to carry his child, but that he was the cause of this uh, breakdown of, uh, of religious energy. And so when he talks to B'nai Yisrael about the covenant, this is the Malvin explains. He explains to them this covenant only exists not because of Moshe Rabbeinu, but because you're close to God. And that closeness can be maintained. On the other hand, B'nai Yisrael had difficulty with that. Because in the desert, as the Malvin says, 
the closest HaKadosh Baruch Hu was felt every moment. There was Man, and there was Miriam's well. And no one else had anything like that. And suddenly in Eretz Yisrael, they have to learn that sometimes you have to pray for rain, because the rain doesn't always come. So in that Eretz Yisrael, they didn't feel the Shefa. They didn't feel what Kedusha Levi tells us, that all comes from Dibur, from creation. And that's how Martha, that, that, that the way you are and the things you talk about produce the Shefa. They lost that. They lost that ability, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu cried, pleading with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to let him go to Eretz Yisrael. Have a good show. Uh, 